morning. Like Paul said, it's family worship weekend, which means we have a bunch of kids with us today. We saw all of your hands, and I am so glad that you guys are here with us today because I need your help. I want to talk about a movie that I think you kids have seen, and I just don't know if the adults have seen it. So I need you guys to let me know how many of you have seen this movie. I'm going to pop it up for you right here. Brandon, if you can pop that up whenever you get a chance. It's the Lego movie. How many of you have seen the Lego movie? Raise your hand, please. Look at that. Adults and kids. That's good. Okay. But I saw a lot of hands that were not raised. So what that means is that we have to get all of the adults up to speed so everybody knows what we're talking about before we get started on this. So I'm going to start talking about the movie, and I'm going to let you guys fill in the blanks, okay? The Lego movie is about a guy named... Emmett, you got to shout it out really loud, kids, okay, because we need to know the answers to these questions. It's about a guy named Emmett. That's right. Now, Emmett has a job. He is a... Correct. Wow, that's a strong corner over there. That's good. (laughs) He is a construction worker. Now, Emmett lives in a town called... Yes! Oh! Extra bonus points for you. Bricksburg. That's right. Now, Emmett is not a very creative guy. He's really good at following the instructions, and he's a really good team player. One day, Emmett met a group of people who are called Master Builders. Yeah, and they're very different from Emmett. See, Master Builders are creative, they're free thinkers, they're very eccentric, and they do not follow instructions well. They don't work together as a team. But the Master Builders have all been fighting against the evil president... Business. That's right. President Business is trying to take over the whole world. And he's trying to make everything look the same. And he's trying to make sure that everybody follows his instructions. But there's a prophecy that one day a very special master builder will rise up among all the master builders and lead them in a rebellion against the evil president business and they will defeat him. And the person who becomes that special master builder is simply called the special. And I hate to give away the movie, but I'm totally going to give away the movie. The person whose name, or the name of the person who becomes the special is? Emmett. That's right. He's a regular old Emmett. And there he is. You see him? There's not, nothing really special about him. He's, we already talked about it. He's not that creative, and you know, he's, he's not really that special. But he actually becomes the greatest master builder of all time. And that's what we call the climax of the story. And that's what I want to share with you right now. So watch the screen. It's going to start in just a second. It's up to you now, Emmett. Oh! <laughs> 
This is the part, this is the scene that I've been wanting to show you. This is my favorite scene in the whole movie. And I'm going to tell you why. But you guys already know why, because I'm sure you see it too. It's, it's obvious. It's all because of that guy right there. Am I right? Little evil robot guy, like number 200-something. He is amazing. Just look at him in his battle pose. He looks all dynamic and awesome. You can almost see the emotion in his little red evil robot eyes. You have to squint a little bit, but it's there. I mean, you take in a scene like this, and you just can't help but wonder what's going through that little robot's mind. What are his, his fears and his hopes and his dreams? What kind of evil robot is he destined to become someday? What will people say of him? What is his robot legacy going to be? He just owns the screen. In this beautiful, magnificent moment, this, this climactic moment of the movie, he leaves no doubt that the focal point and the main character in this story is that little robot. Am I right? You guys are seeing this too, right? No. No, you are not seeing this because that's all wrong. That's ridiculous. That little robot is not the main character in this movie. Kids, you need to help us out here. Who is the main character in this movie? Emmett. And his giant construction robot apparatus is the, is the main character in this movie. This movie is all about Emmett fulfilling his destiny and becoming the great master builder. You guys didn't even know that little tiny robot was there until I pointed him out, did you? But he, he is there. He's there along with all of his hundreds of other little robot companions. And not a single one of them is the main character in this story. But each one of them has a very important role in the story. And that's what I want you to know. Each one of those tiny little robots has a very important job to do in order to make this story great. Their job is to make Emmett look glorious. If those little tiny robots weren't there in the background, you'd have Emmett standing in the middle of an empty screen with nobody to fight, with nobody to compare him against. You might think he looks a little bit lame. Every single one of those robots is in just the right position to do their job. If, if we just took one of them away, that one that circled there, if we took it away from the screen, there would be just a little bit less glory going to Emmett. Don't you agree? Yes. And that's why we're talking about this here in church, is because you and I are a little bit like that tiny little robot, and God is a little bit like Emmett in this scene. When we think about ourselves, each, each one of us has a story to our lives. And, and you have, have a story to your life, and that story has a purpose. And as much as you might like to think of yourself at, at the center of that story and the focal point of that story, what I want to share with you today is that the story of your life is not about you at all. The story of your life is about God the Savior of all mankind and, and the supreme authority over all the universe. It's kind of like the story of that little robot guy that we just saw in the corner is not about that little robot guy. The story of that little robot is about Emmett, the great master builder. The story of your life 
is just a tiny little part of a much larger story that spans all of eternity and includes all of mankind. And it's a story where God is the main character and where you and I play supporting roles. The purpose of the story of your life is not to elevate you or promote you or build you up in any way. The purpose of the story of your life is to magnify God and His greatness and to elevate Him and put Him out on display. And that's our theme for today. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, your life takes on a brand new purpose. And this is that purpose. We have it up here on the screen. The purpose of my life is not me. It is God. So following that statement of truth, I want us to think about an important question that helps us to apply it to our lives. How can I make this about God and not about me? And the idea is that you take that word this and you swap it out for whatever activity you're doing at the present moment. How can I make this about God and not about me? That's our theme for today, and we'll come back to it in a few minutes. But first, what I want to do is tell you about a person in the Bible who really understood the purpose of his life story. His name is John. He was known for baptizing people. In the Bible, he's sometimes called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And I'll tell you a little bit about John. He was given a mission from God from the moment of his conception. It was a time when the people of Israel had not heard from a prophet in 400 years. They hadn't heard a word from God in 400 years. He just went silent. And I don't know, the people maybe thought that he had forgotten about them. But 400 years, it's like five or six lifetimes for people like you and I. It's a very long time. And then along comes John, and he has a word from God. And so the people... You can imagine how curious they were to hear what this new word is from God. Now, John was an eccentric character. He was kind of an eccentric guy. He had a strange wardrobe. He had a strange diet. He did all of his preaching out in the wilderness instead of in the city square where all the people were. So the people actually had to go out of their way to go and listen to him preach. And they did, a lot of them. Because they were so curious about this man, this mysterious man and the message that he brought. And his message was very simple and very direct. It was this, repent, turn away from your sinful lifestyle because Jesus is coming. That was his message and that was his job to plow out a path so that Jesus could come in behind him. John's job was to get all the people's attention and kind of cut through all of the overbearing religion and the political tension of those days so that the people could actually open their eyes and see the God of the universe who had been made flesh and who was standing right there among them. So John had a very public role. He was a very public figure. He had to be in order to fulfill that mission that God had given him. So there's a a situation that's recorded in the book of John. John chapter 1, where we can see a conversation that took place when John was becoming more of a public figure. And that's what I want to look at right now. This is John chapter 1, verse 19. If you can turn there. So here's what happened. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, 
Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they asked him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This whole conversation starts with a a group of people in Israel who had watched John and everything he was doing in ministry, and they were puzzled by what they saw, maybe a little disturbed even. And they could see that John was very unique and that he spoke about matters of religion. So it was natural for them to go and find the religious experts, the the Jewish priests, to come into the situation and try and make sense of it all. And you get a sense of urgency in verse 22 because they're not going to let the priests come back without an answer about who this man is. So the priests approach John and they start to interrogate him. And they say, who are you? Now, I don't know if it was because of like the rumors that were buzzing around at that time or even just the way they asked the question. But John essentially says to them, look, I know what you're getting at and I'm going to stop you right there. I am not the Christ. And that's the first of three opportunities John is going to have in this conversation to promote himself, to build up his own personal brand. But he denies that opportunity this first time. Here comes the second opportunity. The priests say, okay, you're not the Christ. What about Elijah? And that seems a little bit strange to us, why they would bring up that name Elijah. It's a reference to the Old Testament. So if you go back into the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings, you can read about a prophet named Elijah. It was around the time of 900 BC. An interesting thing about Elijah is that he never really died. He was apparently swept up to be with God in heaven, still alive. Then 200 years later, there was a prophecy from a prophet named Micah. And it comes in the book of Micah, chapter 4. Here's what it says. God will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Micah's telling us that Elijah is going to come back. And so this was a widely understood thing in Israel, especially among the Jewish priests, that they were looking for the second coming of Elijah. And here's John standing in front of them doing all these interesting religious things. And so they ask him, are you the guy? Are you Elijah? And then John declines the second opportunity to promote himself and build himself up. And he says, no, I am not. Now, this is starting to get a little bit frustrating for the priests. And so they try again. They try another title. What about the prophet? Are you the prophet? And it has a capital P. That's a proper noun. They're talking about someone in particular. And it's another Old Testament prophecy. And this one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll read it for you. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy when he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. That was another important figure that the people in Israel were looking for. And so they ask him, Are you the prophet? Now this is their last attempt. They've tried three important names now. The Christ, Elijah, and the prophet. We might call these three eschatological figures. That's just a word that means they're important leaders who are supposed to bring in the end times. And they've been looking for these people. 
And they've tried all three of those on John. And John gives them a very clear answer and a disappointing one for them. No, it's not me. You've got the wrong guy. And now the priests are getting really frustrated. And out of exasperation, they finally ask, well, then who are you? We're not leaving until you give us an answer about who you are. John, who are you? And the problem is they were asking the wrong question. This is a little bit like when you're watching the State of the Union address on TV. And you know the announcer guy who comes into the aisle and all the major network TV uh, stations, uh, they have their cameras there. And they go right on this guy's face. And he announces in his big voice, the President of the United States of America. Then he steps to the side and the President emerges and starts moving down the aisle. That announcer guy, does anybody know who that announcer guy is? Very good, Terry. That's impressive. No one has gotten that so far. His name is, his name is uh, you know, I have to even look it up, Phil Irving. Paul Irving, I'm sorry. And that's right, his office is named the Sergeant at Arms of the House of Representatives. Not many people would know that, right? He's not a very prominent figure, but that's the person who has the responsibility of announcing the president at the State of the Union address. It's only been that way since like the mid-90s. Before that, the responsibility of announcing the president was given to the house doorkeeper. That's actually the name of the title. And that was his job, to announce the president. So you can imagine a situation where the doorkeeper announces the president and then he steps to the side and the president starts moving down the aisle and he's greeting the people and shaking hands and writing, uh, signing autographs. But how strange would it be if all the major network TV cameras were focused in the corner on the doorkeeper? And meanwhile, the president's making his way to the front, but all the, the press is flocked around the doorkeeper, and they're like, Mr. Doorkeeper, who are you? Mr. Doorkeeper, where are you from? Mr. Doorkeeper, what are your plans for the future? And the president is like up at the front, and he's going, um, excuse me, everybody, the president of the United States is it's this guy right here getting ready to start the speech. And at the same time, the doorkeeper is horrified because he's like, why are you all looking at me? I'm the doorkeeper. This isn't about me. The president is up there. Stop looking at me. Look at him. That's John in this passage. That's where John's coming from. The very last thing he wants to talk about at this moment is his own personal identity. That's because it's irrelevant. It's not even worth talking about. And that's why his answers to the Jewish priests are so short. Remember, John is not a shy man. He's not a quiet man. It's just that the priests were completely barking up the wrong tree. They're asking the wrong question. They keep asking, John, who are you? They should have been asking, John, who is he? They should have been asking about Jesus. But because they didn't, John had to carefully craft his answer to point toward Jesus anyway. And he chose to do that with another Old Testament prophecy because that seems to strike a chord with these gentlemen. And he does it with a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Here's what it says. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I am clearing a path for the Lord to walk through. 
He's telling them, I am here to glorify Jesus. My personal identity is irrelevant. It means nothing. His identity means everything. Do not look at me. Look at him. Let's bring back our theme. The purpose of my life is not me. It is God. The following question from that is, how can I make this about God and not about me? Let's move ahead to chapter 3. I want to show you something else that happened with John. Now, John had some disciples of his own, and they noticed one day that while John was baptizing on one side of the river, Jesus was down the way a bit, baptizing people of his own. And John's disciples didn't really know what to think about that. They may have seen it as competition. They may have been thinking to themselves, well, there, there can't be two baptizers. That must mean that one is legitimate and the other one is an imposter. We can't have that. And so this was a big problem for them. And they came to John and they essentially said, John, what are you going to do about this? Now, we've seen John before turn down opportunities to promote himself and build up his own brand. But just imagine the opportunity at this moment. Imagine the temptation. He has a ton of followers already. What better way for him to galvanize his position as the leader of this new religious movement than to just upstage the new guy? All he has to do is belittle the importance of Jesus and just out-baptize him. But maybe he's not that sinister. Maybe he doesn't want to go that far. Maybe he just feels like he wants to share the glory with Jesus a little bit. You know, kind of like take John's disciples, take his disciples and split them down the middle and say, this half, you guys go ahead and go follow Jesus. He probably deserves at least that much. But you guys, you hang here with me because I think we all know we've got something important going on here. And there's enough room in town for both of us. If he wants to baptize, that's cool. Just let him do that. We'll just treat it as a little bit of healthy competition. That's not what John was thinking. And you can tell because that's not how he responded. This is how he responded. It's in John chapter 3, verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I want to read that statement again. Listen to that statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's one of the simplest and most profound statements in the entire Bible. This is a man who understands the purpose of his life. He understands what his story is all about. Now, I thought it might be helpful to talk about this principle with an illustration. But I would like some help from some kids, preferably two older kids. I'm thinking about maybe some boys around the age of like 12. Do we have any boys around the age of 12? We do. Way in the back there and red shirt right here. Please, come on up, guys. I need, I need a little bit of help. If you can stand, one of you on that mark and one of you on that mark, please. Thank you. 
Right, yep, right on the red tape. You see it right back there? Good. Very good. Now, if you can hold this, I want you to hold one hand with the hose and the other hand on top of the balloon there. There you go. One hand on the hose, one hand on the top of the balloon. Good. Thank you, gentlemen. Now, I remember as a kid, when I was growing up, one of my favorite phrases that I used all the time was, hey, mom, watch me. Hey, dad, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Hey, mom, dad, are, are, you, are you seeing this? Are you seeing what I'm doing? And I remember thinking to myself, why is it taking them so long to look at me? I mean, why are they not already looking at me? This is where all the action's happening. Why are they not stopping what important adult thing they're doing to, to look at this right over here? And, and I remember that being perplexing to me because I will admit that I was kind of the center of my own little universe. And I, as I've grown into my own adulthood and parenthood, I've, I've started to see that with my kids, this takes on a whole new form in the modern era. And that's because I, Dad, carry around with me everywhere I go a video camera. And my kids know this. And so it becomes, hey, Dad, take a video of me. Hey, Dad, take out your phone and take a picture of me. Mom, take my picture. And, you know, it would be one thing if it was like they just wanted me to take a picture so that it would become like a keepsake that they could look at 20 years from now and reminisce on the good times they had at the park that one day. That's not what they're going for, though. Because they want to see that video the instant after I'm done recording it. They will come, stop whatever amazing thing they're doing at that moment, and they will run right up to me so that they can see themselves on the screen. And they use my phone like a mirror so that they can see themselves the, the way that other people see them. And they're wondering, I wonder if I look as awesome as I think I do when I jump over that rock or when I do that awesome fight move with my ninja sword or when I swing from those monkey bars. And they're kind of acting like the center of their own little universe. You can put your hands under it if you need to. Just hold it like that. There you go. Good. Now, I'd like to think that we all grow out of this, you know, at some point, but you and I both know that even as adults, we have a tendency to view ourselves as kind of the center of our own little universe. And it's not hard to imagine why we think that way, because everything I see in the world around me is literally through these two eyes, and everything I hear is with these two ears. And everything I feel is with my hands. And all of that sensory information gets processed through this brain. No one else's. And so it's, it's not hard to imagine why I would think of myself as the center of everything that's happening around me. And even if I'm not willing to admit it, deep down inside I have this assumption that other people also want to see the world from my perspective. Like, they need to see things the way I do, and they need to hear what I hear, and, and surely other people want to think like I think, and I figure they're going to need help to do that. And so that's why sometimes what I'll do is take out my camera, and I'll snap a selfie, and I'll post it on Instagram, because it's important for people to see me for who I really am, you know? It's important for people to see what I'm up to. And then, you know, sometimes what I'll do is hop over on Facebook and I'll take a picture of my dinner and, and I'll post that on Facebook because it's really important for people to see the nourishment that I'm putting into my body. And then, 
What I'll do next is I'll, um, you know, while I'm on Facebook, I'll post some adorable pictures of my kids, and I'll leave some insightful comments about my personal views on parenting. And then I'll hop over to Pinterest, and I'll, you know, post some pictures of my latest craft project. But before I leave, I'll, I'll check the craft project that I posted last week, because I want to make sure that it has some views. I want to make sure that people are actually listening, that they're getting the view of my life that they need in order to function properly. And then toward the end of the day, I find myself on Twitter. And, you know, I'm not sure if I should do this, but I go ahead and I, I tweet my personal opinion about the latest controversial news story. And within minutes, all my followers on Twitter are responding back and they're saying, man, way to go. Way to put yourself out there. Way to make yourself heard because they understand just like I do how important it is for people to see me and so that's why I build myself up and I put myself out on display and I inflate myself so people can see me but there's more too though because on most Sundays I, um, I go to church with my family, and we sing a couple of songs about God, so I do that too. Now, at this point, I think what we need to do is just take a step back and assess the situation. Kids, I think maybe I could use a little help from you here. Which balloon is bigger, the me balloon or the God balloon? Yeah. Wow, you guys are so great. You're raising your hands instead of just shouting out. I appreciate that. Yeah, it seems that we need to make a change. Well, what about that theme that John gave us? About how God must increase and about how I must decrease. He's talking about a different way of living. But it's even more than that. He's talking about a different way of thinking. It's like all of those decisions I made before about elevating myself and building myself up and putting myself out on display, they all need to be reversed so that instead I'm elevating God and I'm lifting Him up and putting Him on display. And I need to be thinking about how I can take some of the glory that's been directed toward me and redirect it to God so that people can see what he's up to, see what's important to him. You know, it might be tempting at some point in that process to stop when I start to see the picture looking a little bit more balanced because I might think to myself, you know what, at least I'm doing my part and sharing the glory with God. Almost like we're on equal footing. You know, he gets some, and I get some, and it only seems fair. And that might work okay if the Bible put an equal sign between me and God, but it doesn't. It puts one of these signs between us. I need to become less than. He needs to become greater than. So that means I need to continue in this mission to make little of myself and to make much of God. I need to find ways to move myself to the background so that God can be allowed to move to the foreground. Because nobody needs to see me. 
Off the top of your head, does anybody know the slogan for YouTube? Broadcast yourself. Broadcast yourself. Our society is building an entire worldview around that anthem. We have an entire generation of our young people growing up believing that that's the most important thing, that each person is responsible for broadcasting him or herself. And I'll tell you from my perspective, at this point in the history of our world, the last thing we need is for you and I to be out there broadcasting ourselves all over the place. That's because nobody really needs to see you and me. Nobody really needs to see who I am. That's kind of like focusing on that tiny little robot in the corner of the background during the climactic scene of the movie when the hero has finally arrived. It'd be like focusing on the doorkeeper when the president of the United States is at the helm. And what people need to see is that God is here and he's among us and he's alive and he's active and he's moving and he's saving He's the one you need to be looking at, not me. He's the one you need to be watching for and listening for because he is the one you need to know. Your life literally depends on it. He's the one who's made a way for us to live and thrive for eternity by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the message that we need to be broadcasting as the men and the women and the children of God. If we're going to broadcast something, let it be the name of Jesus. Because in the end, the purpose of my life is not me. It is God. How can I make this about God and not about me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the teaching that John has given us in the Bible, that you have spoken through him. Thank you for the example he set for us about how to put himself aside and avoid the attention of the people around him so that he could redirect it to you. Help us to think about ways to creatively apply that principle in our lives, about how to find a different way of thinking so that we can make you prominent and foremost in our minds to the point where it becomes natural for us to give you glory rather than promoting ourselves and building our own personal brand. I pray that you would help us to have a heart of worship toward you so that that becomes a very natural thought path for us. Thank you again for the vivid examples we see in the scripture and and I pray that you would continue to teach us through your word as we look at it and read it. Please guide us in these things, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.